When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome everyone to Rock M Nation podcast or Rock M Radio now. Uh, we're on season six, episode thirty of Dive Cuts. I'm your host Sam Snelling. Live on YouTube, not live. Well, um, we'll be uploaded to YouTube later. Uh, with me over here, uh, Matthew J. Harris, all the way from Indianapolis, Indiana. Matt, how are things on the plains? Uh, a little chilly here. Uh, got a little bit of what you all had yesterday in St. Louis, uh, but sands tornadoes, so that 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 was good. Um, and yeah, just waiting for a consistent week of spring weather and for the transfer portal to actually uh, start dying down. It seems like it's 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 ebbing off, but you never know. I, I thought that the last two weeks, and then there's been like things start to get a little bit hectic you know, after Wednesday, but I think we got to be getting near the end of people going into the portal. We're over like 1400 names now. So it's got to ease off at some point. Uh, yeah, we're recording this, uh, Monday, April 17th. It is Monday night. That's why it's very dark behind me. Um, and, uh, today was probably the quietest day for Missouri, Missouri news, uh, since the portal opened. Um, you and I and, and Matt Watkins have been doing what we can to kind of keep the roster or transfer portal tracker, uh, up to date on a daily basis. And, uh, I did not update it today. I don't think you updated it today either because there was no news, uh, that came out today. There was a lot of commitments and there was a lot of things that maybe touch, you know, Mizzou at, at some kind of tangent. I know Arkansas uh, like got L. Ellis and um, uh, our Georgia got uh, Lundes and there was one other uh, and then a few other like SEC got oh um, Miles Studi mm-hmm. uh, committed uh, from Vanderbilt went to uh, South Carolina for a lateral movement lateral hey. important basketball it's very important. And if you could consider that lateral movement, I mean, uh, I think he was leaving Vandy because he wanted uh, the ball in his hands more. <laughs> like, okay. Um, everybody makes their own decisions. Yeah, up to him what he wants to do with the with his basketball career. I don't know that that's the move that I would have made. You're getting a uh, pretty quality education at Vandy. You're you're uh, chucking up a lot of threes for for a great coach. I'd be pretty happy with that. Um, Miles was not, not, so he's a, he's a Gamecock now. Um, but yeah, overall, like I think we've been in this pattern where like almost every day there's Missouri news. Now we got very big news on Friday night. Um, if you missed it for some reason, uh, head over to rock and you can read all about, 
uh, Tamar Bates, the Indiana trace, uh, transfer and Kansas City, Kansas native, uh, who was a longtime target for Conzo Martin and his program. Uh, he spurned, uh, not the home state school, but, uh, um, you know, but spurned Martin and, and Mizzou and, and chose Texas. Shaka Smart took the job at Marquette, which uh, led him out of his uh, letter of intent at Texas. Then he signs at Indiana for Mike Woodson. Uh, had two sort of up and down years yeah. for uh, for for the Hoosiers, but by all means, he's he's still the player that uh, he was kind of coming out of high school. He's a very talented uh, and high level defender. Uh, he's a guy who has a developing uh, offensive game. He's he's a good offensive player, but uh, I don't think things have sort of come together for him the way that I think. Maybe a lot of people in, in Bloomington expected, uh, but certainly a guy that I, I know you're a big fan of. I'm a big yeah. fan of, and and I think like I think Missouri is going to be a really good spot for him. Yeah, uh, first I think the fan base in Bloomington's behaved you know pretty rationally towards tomorrow going, um, but I think his process you know in you know for IU was one of stops and starts, you know, I, I think in his freshman and in his sophomore years, you know, he had a really good stretches in sort of November to December. And, you know, that sort of cranked up the machine of, you know, and the kind of the narrative cycle of, is he getting ready to move into the starting lineup? Are we seeing him putting it together? And then he slumps in January, sort of drops out of the mix, has a good game in late January and just sort of like is okay coming down the stretch, but you haven't really seen, you know, all the ability and the pieces engage for a long stretch against quality teams. You know, he's, he's done well in non-con stretches and, you know, against some of the weaker teams in the Big Ten. But there's no denying the talent is there. Um, I still think he's probably one of the better on-ball defenders we've ever watched, at least in the last seven years that I've been doing this. He's, he's really, really good at that. Um, people in Bloomington, I think, tried to bill him as a three-level scorer, which I always thought was sort of a misnomer. I never really viewed Tamar that way. Uh, the jumper was a good, you know, way to set up for him to eventually build off something, you know, once he got to the college level. But the, you know, the one thing that he did do this year was show progress with the jumper. Defensively, he was better. You just didn't see, you know, that next sort of step come from him where he could become a guy who could, one, either run the point for them at times, which I think that was the hope. He'd either become a guy who could sort of backstop, you know, some, you know, some point or, he didn't really become sort of the slashing sort of element that they wanted at the wing. So he's kind of settled into a 3 and D role, but the three-point shot, at least his freshman year, wasn't very consistent. So all the pieces are there. The question is, is he getting into the right situation um, in Columbia? You wrote about his you know, sort of system fit. You know, we'll see what happens here. You know, I think he had some different opportunities in Bloomington in different roles and different types of, you know, sets for them. It's just going to be, can Tamar put the pieces together consistently and execute? I, I, you know, but this is a, you know, given where Missouri's roster is right now, this is, you know, I think a pretty strategic bet that I think, you know, carries lower risk. So you're getting a former, you know, top 30 kid who's shown flashes, you know, at a really solid Big Ten program. He's going to get back close to home. You're hoping that a change in system, change in sort of perspective and staff, might you know coax out that ability so at worst you're getting a floor spacer but the ceiling is still high for him to become a really solid college player 
then we can talk about, you know, what expectations were set for him, you know, coming in, you know, were they realistic? Were they, you know, a little bit, was a little bit too much hype, you know, given the fact that, you know, I think what happened was sort of similar to what happened with Caleb Love, where there was a nice little stretch coming out of summer and into his senior year, which saw his ranking maybe elevate, you know, 20 spots higher than it needed to be. And that created some false sort of expectations for what he needed to do when he got to college. But you can see all the tools are still there, and, and it's still a really, really nice pickup. So that's that's sort of my, my general sort of like cloud of thoughts, clouded thoughts as we start talking about Tamar. Well, yeah, and I, I think like one thing, and we've been uh, pretty adamant for, I, I would say, a lot of years. Um, you're talking about recruiting rankings and how you can sort of apply recruiting rankings. Um, you know, and the fact that, you know, in each class, there's usually a, a small collection of truly elite players. Yeah. And, and once you kind of get past that, like those rankings are very malleable and it's just like, and so the difference between, and I think like, this is kind of where like Caleb and Tamar both sort of got caught up is, is they had, uh, like good seasons at the right time. Yeah. Uh, Tamar, for example, uh, went to IMG Academy, uh, and his surge was more like, you know, w- was very sort of like in that, in that late period of, of, yeah. you know, his, his senior year, um, where he was viewed as like a, a, like a top 100 level player before that. Uh, yeah. but then he sort of hit IMG and he gets on that national stage and he, you know, he, you're surrounded by talent, uh, and you, like you fill a role. And I feel like a lot of those guys who sort of fill in roles on those elite teams always sort of have their rankings kind of bumped up a little bit higher than maybe they should be. Um, but by all means, like, like, you know, I think Tamar in the right environment and the right setup and the right, uh, roles and all these kinds of things is still a guy who, you know, who could be an NBA level player, maybe a two way kind of guy, uh, because of his athleticism, uh, because of, you know, like, if you look at the progress of how well he's he's sort of shot, you know, step by step, he's a guy. You know, if you kind of get him and and consistently be in the high thirties from three point range, um, yeah, I, like is is that me saying that that's going to happen for him? No, uh, he could end up just being a very solid college basketball player. Uh, but if you're talking about like what his ceiling is, I think that's where. Uh, that's where you kind of get excited. It's kind of the same thing with a guy like Aiden Schatz. Uh, it's really the same thing with Caleb Love. Like, you know, like what, if, if you take the the top off, like all those guys could be phenomenal, phenomenal uh, players. Uh, but they, they have to put it together. And I think, you know, for Tamar coming back to uh, to a place a little closer to home, it's, it's not home, but it's close. Um, you know, being in an environment where, you know, next season, uh, he's he's not necessarily, at least from our expectations at this point, he's not going to be a guy who we expect, you know, to get 15 points a game from. He's going to be a guy who, uh, you know, they're they're going to need to space the floor. They're going to need him to get get out and run the floor. They're going to need him to, you know, attack the rim on closeouts uh, and defend well and yeah. hopefully rebound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he's he's not a guy who who we think is going to be like, you know, like 
28% usage. Um, no. You know, and I, th I think this is going to allow him to kind of set maybe like a, a two-year plan of, you know, kind of what, what player he wants to be more as like a senior, uh, possibly as a super senior. Does he qualify for that? I believe might he was a freshman in twenty one twenty two, so he might be a little bit late. Yeah, I think I think those guys are just on the regular, yeah, uh, you know, four and five year, uh, five year plan. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm excited. I think this is a a good fit, and yeah. uh, and definitely like when you talk about supplementing the roster and filling in talent, uh. I think he's a guy who's going to be able to fit really well with uh, with John uh, Tanje and uh, and and really that group of guards and a guy who, you know, if if Isaiah Mosley comes back, um, you know, like I think you have your 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 sort of high usage scorer guy, but you know if he doesn't, I think you could really do like you know death by committee from that from that group yeah. of guards. The, the one thing I think people should be you know sort of take you know some positive stock from is you know Tamar's also been a guy if you, if you really know his background he's always understood I think role fit and progression you know he you know like from time as a high school freshman you know, was fine accepting you know even if he was talented he was going to be sort of a bench guy and a six man where his high school team blew up his junior year at you know Piper over on the KCK side you know has a good summer with run GMC gets to you know, IMG, but buys into being kind of a stopper for him. Average 11.4 points. You know, really bought into being kind of a guy they could trust defensively to put on really good players. You know, took his opportunities when they came to him. You know, at IU, sort of the same thing. Bought into sort of being a guy who showed flashes but was fine kind of settling into a bench role. He's never, you know, you don't read anything of like how Bates is chafed at his role. He has, you know, if you read, quotes from this weekend he understands I think accountability starts with himself so I think if you're asking him you know is he going to come in to a crowded house of guards and be okay I think so because he's done it before to me you know the the perception I have of this move is you've been in a place for two years you know this is the system going to change is the staff going to change do you need to change your environment even if you're on good terms with everybody in order to maximize your ability you know, everything that's come out, you know, has sort of been like this was, you know, sort of amicable on all sides. So I think that's what's heartening here, too, is you have a guy who's coming in who's understanding how to buy into systems, buy into roles, and is maybe just looking for a change of perspective and change of system. And if that's what you're getting, you know, then I think that's really positive because you're going to find, you know, as this sort of roster and in this age of transfers, you want guys who can sort of function in that sort of environment. And I think Tamar can. It's just can he put it all together. Can he find the sort of consistency that he wants? If he does, you know, sky's the limit for him. And I think everyone's got to root for him to do that. And I think even IU fans are, are rooting for him to find some success. Yeah, I, I, I think everybody that, uh, you know, that we've come across that know Tamar well, like they all speak highly of him as, yeah. as an individual. It's, it's, it's also one of the reasons why I always thought like Missouri, you know, under, at least under Conso Martin might have been a better overall uh you know, fit just personality wise, uh, yeah. for whatever reason it doesn't work out. Uh, but he's back. He's a guy who I think is going to help. Um, and then, you know, the question now becomes that, uh, 
Missouri basically has two additional scholarships uh, to play with. A lot of people were thinking that the possibility of uh, Caleb Grill, the Iowa State transfer, um, was going to commit possibly on his visit. That did not happen. He is currently on campus at uh, West Virginia, uh, hanging out with old Huggy Bear, and uh, and and a team by and large that has really tried to rebuild itself through the portal. Um, yeah. You know, Hugs has done a good job. They got uh, Kerkrisa, uh, the Arizona uh, point guard uh, transfer. They got uh, Jesse Edwards, the mm-hmm. uh, Syracuse big man transfer. Um, I know they got one or two other guys Yeah, the I portal. Can't. Can't remember who the other. Uh, they got Jose Perez is a mid-year guy who's been around. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that was a that was a big pickup at the time for them. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the decision-making process is there. I think Missouri felt you know, like it was in good shape. You know, we'll see how quickly the process goes. My sense is that it's not going to drag long after the visits are over, but the the question's going to be is, you know, how essential of a pickup is grill at this point? Uh, it's, you know, we were sort of talking before we came on, you know, it, it's an additive sort of pickup, but it's not going to make or break where the roster construction is. And that's not a, a knock on Caleb or his game or anything like that. It's, it's just, if you watched Iowa state, if you sort of, you know, go back and look at, you know, his role there and his usage there, it was in a very, very sort of niche role for Iowa State as kind of a floor spacer, a guy who I think, you know, was limited by his back injury, you know, at, you know, from, you know, doing much else and really being or at least effective off the bounce. But most of his shots in his college career, like 70% of them have been catch and shoot threes. You know, he's a guy who's going to space. He's really good at sort of moving and finding pockets of space and making himself available. You know, defensively, he's a guy who's played a lot off the ball. You know, he's not the guy that's always in the mixer of their no-middle system. So he's a team defender and a floor spacer and a guy that, you know, in a year where Iowa State was pretty short on depth in the backcourt, you know, could give minutes to T.J. Otzelberger. But really what you're hoping is you're getting uh, some 3 and D depth here. But, you know, you look at the shooting that they've brought in. John Tanjay's a really good, you know, floor spacer. Tamar, for his inconsistency off the bounce and some pull-ups, became kind of a consistent shooter last year. You know, if Isaiah Mosley is back and he's actually in a full capacity, he's shown he can be a pretty good shooter off the catch. Nick Honor is a good shooter off the catch. Depth hurt this team or a lack of it last year, but or down the stretch, I should say, but is Caleb Grill going to be the linchpin in that? I'm not sure that that's the case. You don't turn your back on shooting at all, especially not in this environment, especially with the pace that Missouri wants to play. But I think it's important to keep perspective on what Grill would sort of bring to the table there. You know, definitely add some shooting to the mix, but is he a guy that, you know, you're going to need to have go 20 to 25 minutes a night? Probably not. Again, helpful, but not absolutely vital for this roster configuration to work so that's that's sort of like i guess my realistic sort of outlook on on what caleb can bring to the table yeah i mean i i think it's definitely like if they were 
had him on campus, clearly like the intellectuals for them and for both sides is high. I do think that he's a guy who, um, you know, by all means will be able to help the team next year. Uh, he does bring a level of toughness, a little level of grittiness. Uh, you know, he's a plus athlete when he's healthy. Um, and, uh, and a guy who is capable of knocking down in shots, you know, you sort of bring all those things together. And I, I think it, it forms into a, a guy, you know, who can be a role player, uh, on a really good basketball team. And, and I think what you alluded to with, you know, Missouri's struggles with depth, uh, you know, like once Trey Gamillion, uh, got hurt and it trimmed, uh, you know, and, and not only, uh, Gamillion, but. Uh, you know, Isaiah Mosley's uh, lack of avail- availability. Um, those two guys trimmed the guard depth to a point where it was a struggle on a lot of nights, um, you know, to sort of be able to rebound, you know, quicker. And, and uh, you're asking Demoy Hodge, as an example, to play, you know, 35, 36, sometimes 38 minutes. Uh, as opposed to, I think what Dennis Gates probably envisioned was him playing more like 28, uh, you know, and, and really kind of maxing out, uh, a guy minutes wise being in like the 30 to 32 range versus, uh, where they were, which is in the high thirties. Um, and that's just, that's tough for, that's, that's tough to do, especially in the sec, which, you know, we've talked about the level of athleticism in the league. It's a really, really tough physical league. And that can wear you down. And I think, it, I think it did at times for Missouri. Yeah. And, you know, you look at what they did on short turns, too. I, I think, it, you know, it hampered them at times, you know, when they had to come back and they had to you know, do it on a quick turn against Princeton. You know, that was a team, too, or even if you're not talking about physically, but just the ability to sort of look to the bench and go, okay, what can I do to reconfigure some things here to give myself an opportunity? I think they were sort of limited in that way, you know, as the season wound down, it, the one thing I would say is that they look like they really want to skew towards guards. And I think that that's been the thing that's been hard, I think, for folks to reconcile because the focus has been on what's missing, which is a, you know, a starting level big. But you really look at what happened when they, you know, had three guards that, that left the program. You know, and you weren't sure still about Isaiah Mosley's status. So really, that's four guard spots you sort of have to reinforce. And I think the hard part is it's looked like there's been sort of a de-emphasis or them dragging on a big, which isn't true. They, you know, they clearly prioritized Kadeen Shedrick, but I think people have, you know, need to keep in mind they had to replace three to four guards, and you know they had to get a you know guy that could sort of you know had the same sort of physicality and sort of role as Dre Golson. That's John Tanji. You know, if you were to, you know, look at Bates's usage level and possession and touches at IU, very comparable to Drake Million. And if you landed, you know, at Caleb Grill, he was about nine possessions per, per game last year. You know, that you're starting to offset a little bit about what Hodge is there. So... Is it perfect? No, but you begin to backfill a lot of that production and you're not taking a hit in shooting. The ability to make open jumpers from, you know, last year to next year potentially doesn't fall off. So I think that that's just something to keep in mind here is, you know, the pressing need in one position, you know, I think is sort of at times downplayed 
the need to you know do some rein, refer, reinforcements and refreshing at the guard position. That's what it looks like they're trying to do there at, at this point. That's probably the best way to probably frame it as sort of we come to the end of the portal season. Yeah, and I I think it's worth pointing out you know that uh, you know, Kurt you, Lewis and Kurt Lewis is still coming. Yeah, uh, and, and you you do have functional size in Trent Pierce. Uh, and and Jordan Butler heading to campus as well. Uh, you know, I I think I think Trent Pierce is going to play. Um, like he looked I, good down the stretch. He looked really good down I, the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to be like a starter level guy, but I I I think he's going to be. I think he's going to give them more than what like Aiden Shaw gave them this past year. Um, yeah, depending on what happens, I, I think what's going to hinge for Pierce is what happens at the training table and the strength strength conditioning program. But if the shot can translate, then I think there's a role for him defensively and as a spacer at the four. Yeah, so I think coming in, they do have some functional size, but I also think it's worth pointing out, and I know like you and I have kind of uh, talked with uh, with Watkins in our little Slack chat uh, about kind of going against type, and yeah. like we, you look at like what Todd Golden is doing in uh, at Florida, and he is loading up on bigs. But the scars of Colin Castleton. The scars of Colin Castleton. Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, last, last I checked, last uh, commitment, like I think they were up to six, and I, I think there was a possibility they were also in, uh, in the mix for a, a seventh uh, big as well. And it's just like I don't, I don't really know how many uh, interior players you need, but I think it's sort of like, it's sort of interesting to me because both he and Dennis Gates' first year coaches, uh, took different lessons away from this past year. Yeah. Dennis's lesson seems to be that, look, we, we did what we did. We had our, our, our guards, we were small and we got a lot of teams to chase us. We, yeah. we had, uh, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky you know, teams that finish at the top of the standings and they were chasing Missouri around the court and not doing a very good job because all these teams had these big giant dudes. Uh, and look, if you can get like, if you can get Oscar Sheboy on your roster, I, you take that guy, right? Like if you, yeah. if you can get, yeah, Jonas, I do on your roster. Like I, what's not to like about a seven footer with like a seven, nine wingspan. Like I, I, I understand the attraction to these players, but you know when you're limiting what you can do defensively against, uh, you know, like a team that's going to play smaller, and that team can exploit you. And again, like Missouri had their problems with rebounding. Missouri yep. also like tended to lose more when they just played poorly offensively. <laughs> like, yeah, I, you know, like th- when when you have a bad night offensively and you can't get stops, like that's you know that's going to lead you to lose a lot of basketball games but yeah they seem to be leaning into that uh and yes they do want shedrick they you know or they do want a functional big kind of coming in you know whether that's shedrick or possibly you know jamar and sharp uh you know down the line depending on what he wants to do with the nba uh but i do think that that final roster spot is going to go to some sort of interior presence uh but they want that guy to be skilled they want that guy to be able to to pull up defenders away from the floor, and I think that's where you get with Trent Pierce 
and Jordan Butler, like guys that have the ability to stretch the floor and are going to force the opponent center to move away from the basket. And then you look at like what Florida's doing, and Florida has all these bigs, and not many of them shoot. It, the way I would sort of frame it is, if you go back and watch the loss to Alabama in the SEC tournament, watch Alabama sub pattern. Every time ODR comes in and out, they send a traditional big in. They force Bama to shrink. They force Bama to play smaller. And, you know, Missouri's issue, I think, was clearly rim finishing. You know, Noah Clowney was still a problem for them. You know, it didn't, it didn't mean that Missouri you know, was successful, but I think they were able to dictate the stylistic sort of terms that game was played on. Tennessee couldn't, you know, just stick a Rose Plovsic out there to kill people. Like, like they could not put a mauler out there. They were able to force Kentucky to play smaller at times. Uh, this team, I think, when they're operating at their best, they're playing, you know, either five out, you know, pick and roll stuff, or they're able to have, you know, a big, a big, nominally, and Noah Carter who can play out, you know, play at the top of the key, play at the elbows, connect, and even space. They're able to create those gaps, create that room, and, you know, the tempo at which they play you know, puts teams in a bind. I think the difference you have to look at is you, we look at recruiting of bigs. There are a lot of guys who are big bodies, but elite-level bigs are still pretty rare. Do you need to fill your roster with average bigs just so you can say that we've matched like for like? Or do you, you know, look at what Missouri did and you know, figure out with, our, with their tempo, with their skill level, and in space, can you mitigate that? And I think that's, that's what they're leaning into. You know, I think it's going to be hard, you know, for fans to sort of, I think, wrap their head around that because the SEC is a league that's still, you know, I think, you know, based around size and athleticism. But it's not a very skilled league. It, it hasn't been for a long, long time. Go look at, you know, three-point shooting in this league. It's usually one of the worst in the country. Go look at the turnover rates. It's usually one of the highest in the country. Go look at the block rates. It's one of the highest in the country. It is not a league, you know, where you realistically put hyper-skilled dudes on the floor. If you're Missouri, Missouri's taking the opposite tack. They're recruiting guys that can, you know, dribble pass, shoot, that can play in space, and they're saying that's great that you have guys that can, you know, lean on us physically. Can you play basketball with us? Right. And it's a... Is it guaranteed to be successful? No, but I, I think if you're Missouri, and we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum before, how are you going to find an inefficiency to exploit? Are you going to keep trying to copy other rosters with, you know, less, you know, heralded talent? Or are you going to figure out what works well for you? And I think that's what they figured out a year ago was, okay, our concept works. We just need some more depth. And we do need, you know, one proven big but with this very particular skill set for us to be successful. And I think that's what they're leaning into. Will it work? Will it be, you know, something that's, you know, going to tee them up for major success? We'll have to see. But you can see kind of the template and the thought process they're using as they go through portal season and begin to refresh the roster. Well, and I, I would also point out that I, I almost feel like when you would talk about, like, those lessons and, and what lessons were learned, uh, you know, another couple of rosters that I've sort of been watching with some intrigue is, uh, well, Arkansas, because 
you're gonna have to play them twice. Uh, and you know, Musselman is by all accounts, and everybody like always makes a big deal out of how Eric Musselman is like the king of the portal. And granted, he's he's done very well. Uh, there's no way to dispute that that Arkansas has not been successful utilizing the transfer portal. Uh, but he he has a type, and yeah. the, the that flashing light scores doesn't shoot the ball very well. Yeah. Um, they they like this last year's Arkansas team like got a little lucky. They caught a uh, Kansas team without Bill Self, and and they can do one thing: they can defend. Um, if they're fortunate enough to kind of get a few shots to drop, then they're really pretty tough. So, you know, like Arkansas is, is basically leaning into what's been successful for them. But they also look at like LSU, and Matt McMahon had a really rough year. He, yeah. they built the roster on a fly. He thought kind of doing the same thing like Dennis Gates did, of essentially kind of importing guys who knew him and knew his style would help, and it didn't. Um, you know, despite how good K.J. Williams was, that guy was awesome. I feel bad that that's how his college career ended. Uh, but McMahon has pivoted. And, yeah. like, they... Uh, so they have uh, Will Baker, right? Yeah. Yeah, Will Baker. Uh, Nevada. A guy I really like. A guy I really yeah, like. A, a, a skilled, skilled big. Um, a guy with a lot of skill who can shoot, stretch the floor. Um, I, basically, uh, he's a, a, a all already formed version of kind of like what KJ Williams turned into. Um, and uh, and also they are pursuing like really really hard uh, George Girard, who is the Syracuse transfer, who is a a not very athletic, uh, can shoot the cover off the ball. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I do my best to avoid Jim Beheim teams when I'm, you know, trying to watch basketball. But if you watch Syracuse over the last few years, chances are you saw Gerard making a lot of outside shots. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like, yeah, again, like Muss is kind of leaning into what has made Arkansas successful. Is that we're going to be, we're going to be a lot long and athletic. We might have trouble scoring, but we're going to defend the hell out of out of you, and we're going to to you know rebound the ball. We're going to you know crash hard, and and basically try to you know perform yeah. our offense that way. And this is now we see LSU kind of going the other way. They got Jalen Cook, you know, who I think is you know a pretty skilled, smooth scorer. He's not like I would say you know a guy who's you know a hyper athletic slasher, but he can do some things and create his own shot sort of off the bounce. Jordan Wright, we saw at Vanderbilt, you know, kind of a guy who at his best is spacing and playing off the catch. And Will Baker's hyper-skilled. So I think what they've done is they brought in guys who played sort of in their system, which is ball screens with, you know, zipper action off to the side. It didn't work. You know, they had Adam Miller. That didn't work, you know, and sort of him bouncing back. They went and got Cam Hayes. NC State, that archetype didn't work. So now they're going to go get guys that have shown that they can, that maybe don't match sort of like stylistically, you know, the slashers that they had or sort of the downhill guys he had at Murray. But he's getting guys who've shown they can score the basketball and, and shoot pretty consistently and produce that way. So I do think there is something to that. Missouri, you know, I think we have to, you know, remind ourselves, you know, Dennis Gates is showing us how he wants to play. No, he said last week, I want to lead the country in three-point shooting and assist turnover rate. You go look at the guys that they recruit, what do they do? Their turnover percentages are usually less than 15%. 
and they're shooting off the catch on open threes is usually north of 36%. You know, or if you're looking at, you know, bigs, they're looking for guys who are good play finishers. Go look at their rim finishing rates. Go watch how they played last year. Dennis Gates is telling you, we're going to play five out. We're going to use some Princeton concepts. We're going to use some, you know, five out ball screen stuff. We're going to run some NBA sets. They're a little bit different. You know, we're going to incorporate some of that stuff, but we're going to have guys that can shoot it. We're going to have hyper-skilled people, and we're going to play fast. And I think the difference is, is we get so focused on, you know, the defense and the rebounding were a problem last year. Go look at the Modiar player review. Player review. Go look at the numbers when they put a nominally bigger 6'11 dude on the floor. Everything cratered. Rebounding got worse. Defense got worse. It's not strictly about size. It's about how that big fits into what they do. It, you know, I keep thinking that if you're going to go out and you're just going to recruit three guys who are three bigs, so you can say you got bigger, I guess that works, but they've shown you how they want to play. And realistically, they need a big who is pretty mobile, who's comfortable in space, can you know work front to back, can recover, and is going to be able to play in some aggressive coverages, and is going to most of all be a play finisher around the rim for them. That's what they need. And, you know, they're after a guy like that right now, but I think we need to leave behind the idea that they're going to just build a copy of Florida State in Columbia. It's at least early on from how Dennis has built the roster to how they've played. It's very different. It's very different from what you would see from the Leonard Hamilton teams. I think people still have that stuck in their heads a little bit as to, you know, what they're going to do with this roster. I think it's going to be a little bit different iteration. And he's showing us and he's telling us what he's doing. You just have to sort of leave behind, you know, the Florida State ties there and and not assume it's just going to be a proto version of what, you know, Ham did in Tallahassee. Well, and and uh, there are going to be elements of what Ham did. And I'm I do think, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it, I really think like when you look at how he's trying to build depth, uh, the way that they want to be able to finish at the rim, uh, like these are all things that like Florida State always was really good at. Florida State was always able to get nine, 10 deep without much of a drop off. Yeah. And they finished around the rim. Now, part of those reasons why they finished around the rim were they had, you know, really tall, long dudes who were just athletically superior. And so they could just get right to the rim. And, um, and so I, I don't, but I don't think you need that in order to be a good rim finisher. Like you, you need to understand what it takes to finish around the rim against, you know, especially in the SEC where, you know, you are going to be facing, uh, you know, long athletes at, at Kentucky, like, you know, t- Tennessee doesn't have like the athleticism that, traditional Kentucky big have always had um you know but they've always had big guys and yeah. I think up and down the league when you when you look at like how the league has always been built it's always been like these tall long super athletic dudes and so I think there's a lot of a lot of benefit to going against type just as long as you can still play with pace yeah uh space the floor and be able to finish against that light and I think it like so you still want some level of size. Like, I don't think you can, you know, send 10 Dre Golstons no. uh, into Rep Arena and, and expect to win a lot of games, um, you know, 
but you and uh, no offense to Drew Golston, that was not a you know a dig. It was more <laughs> you can't have it was you can't have like, five six five dudes. You can't have yeah. Like, like you do want some some guys who who have some some size, and you do like and I I think they're getting those guys. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, like like Tamar Bates is six five and uh, plus three or four wingspan and. Yeah, but you know, long and long and athletic, uh, and then you know Tajay is uh, is six five and uh, pretty pretty developed physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like Nick Connor's not a huge dude; <laughs> he's probably five ten on a good day. Um, you know, so it's just like he, I I've always sort of thought that the way that he was going to build this roster was like a a variety of types, especially when that first roster w- was sort of put together as a, a variety yeah. of types of players. Uh, and so whenever you sub, you're getting something different. And I, I think you're really going to see a lot of that this year, um, no matter even how they finish their last two spots. Yeah. They're, I think the thing you have to leave out is it's not going to be six, seven-foot dudes. They're all bigs. So they can just you know, fleet those guys in and out. I think they do like Link. They want to not going to top Goldnet. <laughs> no, he's not. It's not going to be. It's not going to be eight bigs on the roster. But how they finish out, I, I think, you know, whatever they want to do, they're going to have spots for it. You know, I think that they've, you know, Shedrick is clearly the priority. You know, at the post, if they can pick up Caleb Grill, that's nice. Um, they're not behaving, you know, like a team that I think is expecting to lose Kobe Brown or Isaiah Mosley. You look at the. Guys, they've targeted. It's been about rounding out depth and filling a need at one position. But to speak to Muss's point, Muss went out and got guys who could get buckets. You know how they get buckets. You know slants a certain way, but Muss knew he needed to go get guys who could score, fill the step, scoring column for him. This, these moves that they've made, you know, to me feel like they they're rounding out depth. And really making sure they've got quality depth because they know that they're going to have two pieces that they can re- that they're relying on as headliners. And you know the thing that you hear consistently is, you know, Kobe will be back if you know he's not a first rounder. He's it, you know forecast now middle of the second round. We know that things happen with two way deals and guaranteed contracts in that spot. The question is going to be is nil or is the financial imperative there for him to do another year here as opposed to going but what's been consistent is first round or bust if it's not there he'll be back and the thing is we are six days from the entry deadline like every you know every day that passes you know the odds work in Mizzou's favor now you could wait until like 11.59 the night of or the right up to the minute of the deadline to put his name in but you don't see Missouri behaving like a staff that knows it needs to go out and get a potential replacement for an SEC player of the year caliber guy. They, they just haven't pursued that kind of player in the portal. You know, you know, Isaiah Mosley, you know, his availability, you know, will be interesting to see. But again, they haven't gone after some of the elite sort of scoring wings, even from the mid-major level. So... I think they're telling us with their actions and the types of players they're bringing in, they probably expect at least right now to maybe have some key pieces back 
and that's what's informing their roster construction. And if you look at it through that prism, if you put Kobe and Isaiah Mosley with these guys, you know, presuming they get a big, the roster really makes sense. It sort of unfolds nicely in terms of what a rotation might look like. So I think that that's, you know, we could always be wrong. Kobe could, and, you know, Isaiah could go up until the very minute and put their names in and be gone, but this staff has not behaved like they expected to lose two potential all-conference guys in terms of who they've targeted, who they've brought in, and what they're, you know, you know, the kind of transfer that they've zeroed in on. So we'll see, but I think as we come down the home stretch here, this feels like, you know, what they've done is just reinforce the foundation they put in place last year. So we'll see, though. It's still time, and the portal season uh, is nothing if not crazy. So uh, coming up, um, we expect probably like something from Caleb Grill this week. I would think uh, yeah. for him to make his decision. I don't. I don't think this is something that's going to drag off for very long. Um, you know, whether it's Missouri or not, Missouri. Uh, I. I couldn't tell you. Uh, I thought we were in pretty good shape. Might might get a commitment. Didn't happen. So now we're we're in the waiting game. Um, the other sort of thing that we're waiting on is, is, is Shedrick, who is, uh, Wednesday, supposedly visiting on Wednesday. Um, this is a very important visit because I, I think this is the guy who sort of fits what, what they all kind of want to do with their, their big in the roster. He's, he's a, he's a skilled guy, skilled defensively. He's been well coached. Uh, he is a developing jump shooter. Um, and I say developing because like he's shown the ability to, uh, to shoot the ball pretty well. Um, and so hopefully, so he goes from Texas to Missouri to Xavier to Duke, Xavier to Duke. Um, and that's going to be worked around. We have a live period this week. The coaches have to go out and watch high school kids now. And they're going to love it. They're going to love that. They go out this weekend, so that's going to put the kibosh on visits and push his stuff into next week. So that's... Longer this thing goes, the <laughs> if it... What you want is for it to him to call it off on Thursday or Friday, but after that, then you want it to go to the end of the month and get through all the visits, you know. Uh, yeah. And then the only other thing I think is maybe worth monitoring at this point is probably like the Matthew Cleveland stuff um, which we sort of think is not very likely but uh, the longer that goes as well um, because I kind of think and, and I think we all sort of agree behind the scenes on this that um, that if Missouri is going to lose one or the other of Kobe or Isaiah, we may find out later than sooner. And so the longer they have that time for Cleveland to not have made this decision, then the possibility of them being able to maybe pivot and, and sort of get in late with some uh, good NIL money uh, available, I think would uh, would help them. Yeah. And again, uh, April 23rd, it, so that's Sunday. Uh, is the NBA early injury deadline. That is uh, when, you know, if Kobe is going to put his name in and explore it, you know, 
It's got to be in by that date. Another key date to keep in mind is May 11th. I believe that's when the transfer portal closes up. So we're within probably two or three weeks of that happening. And then May 30 is the NBA, uh, the NCAA's withdrawal deadline. If you're going to come back. That's There's still time for Kalkbrenner to uh, enter the portal, Matt. <laughs> Speak it into existence. Speak it into existence. <laughs> um, but, so, point being, by this time next week, we should have clarity on what Kobe's doing because the deadline will have passed. And if, right. they, and if Missouri gets through that, you know, with Kobe still you know, in the fold, then from there, it realistically is just what a Shedrick want to do at that point. That Those are sort of the deadlines that you're looking at. But if you're tracking the portal, there was a lot of activity over the last couple of weeks. There is still decisions coming in now, and there's still some big names that are floating out there, but Missouri hasn't been involved with those names uh, outside of cursory calls. I mean, realistically, the, what you're focusing on now, like you said, are Shedrick, Cleveland, Grill, and then, you know, what happens with two returners. But they've they've done, you know, a pretty good job so far of, of filling some needs in the perimeter. We'll see how they finish it out, though. Yeah, so I think that's all we've got. Um, mm-hmm. Went a little little over, but we're, we're okay. Uh, so if you're watching this on YouTube... Hit the subscribe button. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed. You get all these sort of notifications when a new video is released. Uh, I will be back next week, um, probably with the other Matt. Not this Matt. Always a Matt. Yeah. On, it's always a Matt. <laughs> it, 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 it does make introductions a little easy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll, until Missouri's roster is full, I'm playing and kind of trying to do this uh, on a weekly basis. So I will be back. Uh, if you're subscribed uh, to this podcast here or through uh, the regular podcast means, which would be through the Apple Play uh, or Apple Podcasts uh, or Google Play Store uh, or uh, you can find us on Spotify. Um, all of those things uh, are ways to get the latest episodes of Dive Cuts as well as uh, before the box score and I believe we have a new episode of before the box score coming out uh, this week or maybe next week uh, anyway those guys are doing a good job uh, covering all the spring football stuff so I'll be back next week you'll talk to this dude in a couple weeks and we'll uh, we'll have everything on Mizzou basketball covered so until then thanks everyone for tuning in 